one of the things um, I have enjoyed uh, having the opportunity to do is um, get to know numerous missionaries over the years. And if you're, if you're familiar with church settings, um, we often send people out in the name of Christ. And uh, nowadays, uh, things are changing, even as they're being identified as um, global partners, uh, because the name missionary is very specific. And um, there's even a new global partner who we are becoming quite familiar with and connected to, and um, and you know they're going with their company to uh, a place where uh, we have to refer to them very specifically with certain terms um, because it is a creative access country, and uh, it's been a joy to talk with them. But one of the things over and over in their training as they're going out for the first time, they're reminded of is um, that that being a missionary is hard, being sent out. And as, as we recognize, as I step into this position as a pastor, I recognize I'm not just here, um, you know, to, I'm not just here to take this comfortable, easy job in this nice town and a nice home, and I look at them going off to the mission field and think, oh, man, that's going to be hard. I'm recognizing, no, God has me here for a purpose and a reason, and I need to depend on him as much and even more uh, because in each of our lives, uh, there, are, there are strongholds in our communities. There are strongholds that there's a spiritual battle going on, and Satan is trying to pull us away. He's trying to keep us from really growing and multiplying and being the body of Christ that he wants us to be. And I'm, and I'm thinking, Lord, um, you know, I've got to learn these lessons. And so it's fun. But one of the things they said is over and over, missionaries don't always last long. Uh, maybe I shouldn't call them that. Global partners uh, don't always last long in, in their business because it is, it is difficult and grueling. And, and they said one of the keys that, that is they do exit interviews of uh, people leaving the field is over and over they ask, well, how's your walk with the Lord? And guess what the answer is? Well, over the years, it's kind of begun to struggle and wane and be neglected. And they said that's probably the most common answer they get of if they point to what are the common factors of people leaving the field. And, it's, and, and the reality is it's not that complex. It often comes down to are we abiding in the true vine? Are we clinging to him? Are we walking with him? Are we being filled up by him so that we then can pour into others? And as I, as I take this step of, of accepting this position as your pastor, and uh, today we could call my installation Sunday, um, you know, we're not going through a lot of formalities. We are going to pray. We are committing ourselves. But that's what we're doing. We're saying, Lord, we are here for you. We're here to serve you. But I recognize I am not doing this in my own strength or on my own. It's not an easy task. Um, and, 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 you know, that this isn't just me. And this is where one of the things I've appreciated is I've gotten to know the elders and the position. They're inviting me not just to say, okay, pastor, you're here, do ministry. Whew, that's off of our shoulders, you know. They're saying, no, we want you to come and as a pastor, you've been gifted to equip the saints for the work of the service. We're in this with you. 
And I'm, and you know, and, and even for me as a pastor, that's not always what you hear culturally across the board. A lot of pastors, and uh, you know, that's the tendency. And so my tendency will be to move that back, back that direction. So we're trying to even clarify. As I'm installed, I invite you to encourage me to this role, and even to keep me accountable. Ask me how it's going. You know, pastor, you're not doing too much, are you? You know, you're you're working with the, and and, and I trust for you guys. The difference some of you will see is. As much as I, I hope to get to know all of you, the reality is I cannot personally shepherd all of you. It's impossible. So my part of my role is to equip the elders and, and leaders of this church to, be, become, to step up into disciple makers, and they will be shepherding you. And as needs are too big for them to handle, they come to me, and together we, we deal with it. Um, but, but these are things we're committing ourselves to. But at the core, at the foundation, this is going to be a short-lived effort if we aren't grounded, if we aren't connected and abiding in the true vine. Without an abiding walk with Jesus, our efforts will be fruitless. And so, and so we're committing ourselves to saying, number one, we know who Jesus is. He's the true vine. We are staying connected to him and, and are grounded in him. And then we go out now and serve with the strength he supplies. We speak with the words that he gives. We do it in complete dependence on his spirit to move and to work. And so I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to John 15. And here's where Jesus, again, as he is preparing to leave his disciples, he has poured into them. For, for several years, I mean, he's had a, basically a three-year ministry, and of that time, at least half of it, they were walking with him regularly, and he was pouring into their life. And there were times he would then, as he poured into them, and they knew who he was, he'd send them out two by two, and they would go and do, and they'd come back, and, and, and he would build into them again. And, and now as he's preparing to leave, he's reminding them, we're never beyond this. We need to hear this over and over of who he is, he says, I am the true vine. In John 15, verse 1. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you, so abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And what we see here is it starts with this reminder and, and this focus on who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And the first point I want to make is that Jesus is the true vine. He is the one we need to connect to. He is the one that we abide in, and apart from that, we can do nothing. So number one, Jesus is that true vine. He is our source of life and strength. He gives us meaning. In Colossians 1.16, Jesus is described in, in, way, in a way that um, 
you know, it's just is powerful. It says in verse 16, for by him all things were created. As the true vine, he is the source of all things, both in the heavens and on the earth, the visible and the invisible. When he says in the heavens, he doesn't mean like the stars in the universe. He's saying all the angels, the angelic realm, the spiritual realm, and everything in the physical realm on the earth, all the universe and everything in it. He says the visible and the invisible, the thrones and dominions, the rulers and authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. That includes for us. Like We can do nothing apart from him. He is that source. He gives us purpose. He gives us life. In Romans 11, there's another verse that says it's, from him and for him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. He is our source in dealing with the challenges we face. The temptations we face is to take our eyes off of him, of worshiping him, of loving him, of obeying him, and to saying, no, I can trust myself. Or I can trust there's someone else who knows better. And that's where Satan came in and said, oh, he's wrong. If you eat this fruit, you're going to be like God. And, and the temptation is to take our eyes off of him as that source and to put it on something else, to believe something else. And Jesus promises, no temptation has overtaken you, but is common to man. And God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but will provide a way for you to stand up under it. He is our source, even in dealing with, we take our eyes off, we fix our eyes on the created thing rather than the creator. And he wants to bring us back to him. He is that true vine. He invites us to live out what he promises to supply. Each and every day, he will provide. He is our strength. He is our source. He is our life. Will we depend on him? And this is at the core, is who is Jesus to you? And so as we invite you to grow as a disciple, even Jesus asked his disciples this. He says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And how do you answer that question? That question will come up over and over again in ministry because at the core of my discipleship, of my following Jesus, is recognizing, well, who is he? And in the book of John, over and over, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am, and all these I am, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Who do you say Jesus is? And are we creating him to be, in our image, what we want him to be? Or are we listening to him? And this is what we're committing ourselves to, is recognizing who Jesus is, that he is the source. We're listening to him. We're coming to him. And so then as he describes it, he says to his disciples, you're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. That now as we abide in him, we, we continually walk with him and depend on him, but we're understanding him and the truth, and, and the living word, and, and who he is. But this is important, as we abide in him. One of the things is we abide. It's interesting. I think we often look as, okay, I'm going to abide so that, uh, and, and there's something in the end for me. You know, I'm going to abide in Christ so I can have a great ministry, and I can be a good pastor, and build it up so that what? So that I look good, Right? Isn't that misguided? Abiding isn't, to point people to me, abiding often isn't a means to an end. Abiding is the end. 
Abiding with Christ is exactly why he created us, in his image, for a relationship with him. And, and as, we, as we abide, as we walk in that and live in that, we are filled up to the full measure of God in Christ, and it overflows. And so ministry happens, transformation happens. God uses us to influence others, not because we are somehow seeking something for ourselves in the end so I can feel good about myself, look at the success I've had, but so that I, as I abide, the fruit comes. And so even as Jesus, and as I look at these things, and what are some keys to abiding, it's not, it's not saying, okay, do these things and everything will work out for you like this, I want to say like a prosperity gospel that when we do, we get. Amen? You know, that's, that's an easy preaching, but that's not what's intended. He's inviting us to abide. And so as we abide, we recognize that he is our source. And, and this word abide is repeated. How many times have I said it already as I've read through these verses? And his work in us, he has a plan of, of drawing us near. And he says, if you're not bearing fruit, I've intended, I've designed you to bear fruit, but, but the fruit in the end isn't necessarily the goal. Uh, yes, that is the outcome. And he says, so I'm going to do my work. I'm going to take up, take away every branch. Some, some would define that, they, they translate that, instead of saying he takes away every branch that doesn't bear fruit. Um, at this point, he's not like cutting it off. Um, it was described as a vine grower who it's laying on the ground, and so he lifts it up and ties it up and says, okay, I, I, you know, he puts it in its proper place. And I think there's times, if I would paraphrase this, he does what is necessary to get us into the place we need to be to bear fruit. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's hard. And so he takes us through sometimes difficult things. Because he's designed us to bear fruit. Then if we're bearing fruit, we'd say, yes, I'm there. I've achieved it, right? No, he says, I want you to abide, so now I'm going to prune you. What? You know, this doesn't feel good. But again, it brings us back because the purpose isn't just bearing fruit. He prunes us, so we abide. And when we abide through the pruning, guess what comes? More fruit. And then it says, I want you to continue to abide because if you bear more fruit and then fall back away, he's going to prune you again. He says, now continue to abide in me and you're going to bear much fruit. There's going to be a flourishing. And so God has his work. So what is it that he's calling us to abide? He says, abide in me. Here he says, you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. That there, this abiding in him is in, in many ways listening to what he has said learning from what he has taught, understanding who he is, I mean, who God is, I mean, the truth, allowing it to now shape our lives, that we are living out of and, and based on the truth, not based on lies and deceptions and, and, and things we think will fulfill. No, we're living our lives every day because the word has, has opened us up to see what is real and how life works of our need for our Father to walk with him, to abide in him, to understand him. And he says, abide. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. 
saying a part of abiding. And so as we commit ourselves, we're abiding in the word of God. We're also abiding in prayer. He says, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. And that's down in, well, it says that in verse um, Verse 7, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This abiding in him is coming to him in prayer, of pouring out our hearts, of, of relating to him, of walking with him. And that's what it looks like as we pray. He says, I've called you friends. I've made myself known to you. Um, as friends, he wants to hear what's on our hearts. And he invites us to walk with him. This is a spirit dependence. We recognize there's nothing we can do apart from God. And so we come and pour out our hearts. We, we put these things on his shoulders. And, and uh, verse, down in verse 16, it says, Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Uh, that, that we're saying, Lord, we want to be in a line with you. To ask in his name is saying, it's as if I'm representing you now. I am your representative. Bearing your image, I've accepted your call. You've given me all authority in heaven and earth to go and do your work. Now, as I, in your name, am stepping out in faith, I can ask, and he does. He hears. He listens. Now, again, just like the disciples, does that mean we exactly understand his way? No, sometimes we're still trying to do it our way, but, but we, as we bring it to him, we are, again, refined by the word. We're, we're pruned and we're brought back in line with what his ways are. So abiding in prayer. And then he says, um, that was in verse 7, abide in me, my words in you, ask whatever you wish. Um, as you go on down, verse 8, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Just as a father has loved me, I've also loved you. So he says this, abide in my love. How do we abide in his love? Uh, one of the verses that has meant so much to me is in Ephesians chapter 3, verses um, 18, 19, 20. Um, but in Ephesians 3 is, is this prayer that Paul has for the Ephesians that they would, that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith and that they would be rooted and grounded in love and able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Now, I, this, this cracks me up because of, it's, like, it's, like, um, it's like doing something that you can never do. You know, it, it's an oxymoron. I want you to know something that you'll never really know. I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And it's like as we abide in his love, um, and, and just to understand the greatness of God's love for it, it blows our mind but it grounds our hearts and it compels us. And 2 Corinthians 5 says we are compelled by love that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him who died for us. Um, you know, that, that this love now, in, verse, in Ephesians 3 it says that in order that when you know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, I'm praying that you would be filled up to all the fullness of God and to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to his power that's at work within us. I mean, this, this is the result as we are overwhelmed by his love. So abiding in his love is, is, again, reminding ourselves. And I think the College of Prayer has done that for many of you. It's done that for me. It's brought us back to remind us what is the foundation upon which we stand. We stand in Christ's love. I am now justified because of him. I am being sanctified because of his work and his promise. 
we stand with confidence in Christ, not because of ourselves, but because of God and because of Christ and his love for us. And so we're abiding in his love. And then he goes on to say, as you abide in my love, then in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This call as abiding in his love is then leads us to living out of obedience, to following him. Because we know who he is. We know what he calls us to. We can move forward with confidence in obedience to him. And so, so living out his love then leads us to walking in obedience. And what he then says is, okay, so now if you're going to walk in obedience to his commandments, what is his commandment? Well, look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father have made known to you. What's the command? Particularly, as we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, what does that lead us to do? Love our neighbor as ourselves. So as we abide in Christ's love, I'm now enabled to love. And all that that leads to in the one another's of Scripture. So as we're established in Christ, understanding his word, walking with him in prayer, uh, growing with him as we, as we abide in his love, then that leads us then to be equipped to serve, to love, to give of ourselves in, and to put into each other's lives and to serve them as they need, as we love. And then it leads us also to be engaged in the mission of Christ. And this is verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. And this I command you, that you love one another. Now he says, I want you now to go and bear fruit. Go and bear fruit. You've been, you, you, you know who I am. You understand that. You've been grounded in me. You've been established and built up. Now I want you to love one another and serve each other and together go and bear fruit beyond the walls of this church. And, and, as, and our call to make disciples, that's what it's about. It's about committing ourselves to these things, living on mission for Christ as a result of, being, of understanding who he is, of being grounded in that, of, of together we are serving and loving in, in a community that is a witness and testimony to our world. And fruit then is a natural result of abiding. It's not just the goal, it's the result. It flows naturally. So our identity transforms our activity, not the other way around. I don't, I don't work and serve and, and love and give, and now, okay, God, is that good enough? But, but rather it's saying, no, God, what you've done is good enough. I'm not trying to earn anything. It is, I have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm abiding in his love. And the fruit then flows. And he's going to help us grow in that. Because he's the one. He is the vine dresser. He's the one that takes up. He's the one that prunes. He's the one that, that draws us to this continual abiding to show us our need for him. And then when we ask, we walk with him, he begins to work in ways beyond what we can imagine. 
as we serve, we don't want to leave our first love. And as the church in, uh, I can't remember what church it was, I think it was the Ephesian church did, um, a, a church that had sat under Paul's teaching for several years, many mature believers, and, and they persevered, and they taught the word, and they were holding to the truth. But he says of them, but you've left your first love. Come back, and I want to say in my words now, it's come back and abide in me. And those things will produce a fruitfulness, a fruitfulness that I've designed. Um, so this is what we commit ourselves to. 